For those of you that may be listening to this sermon later, you should read Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 and you should read Acts chapters 24, 25, and 26 to have the foundation that we've already had laid before us. Let us open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, these verses are not difficult. We should be able to treat them easily and get the lesson from them. What an example we just had described to us from those chapters about our beloved brother Paul, as Peter would call that apostle in the third chapter of his second epistle. What a testimony. They all knew that he was not guilty of any crimes against the state. He was not guilty of any crimes against another religion. They all knew it. He wasn't worthy of bonds or death. And that's the way that we want to go down someday for one cause. Jesus. We want to go down for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness if the Lord would ever bring us to such a situation. Let me read to you verses 12 through 16 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Amen. Amen. And amen. I know we're a little later than usual, and I will keep that in mind. That doesn't mean it'll change anything, but I'll keep it in mind. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. These lessons are simple. Let's grab these lessons and embrace them because it is an effort by the Apostle, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to prepare our minds, to give us a mindset to help us gird up the loins of our mind so that we will think correctly when suffering, persecution, trials, tribulations, or even death would come our way for the cause of Jesus Christ. Beloved, the passage begins with, if this affectionate title was Peter's love, you can know that God's love was before and was greater than Peter's. If it's God's love, you know that what follows was wrapped up in God's love for these persecuted brethren. As I have pointed out to you, in each chapter of 1 Peter, the sufferings of this audience are clearly identified. These were persecuted Jews. They were third-class citizens in the nations of the Gentiles. They were 600 miles from Judea and Jerusalem across the Mediterranean Sea in what we would now call western or central northern Turkey are these areas that are mentioned in the first verse of the first chapter. So they weren't Gentiles. They were considered differently. In the shower, in school, the boys were discovered to be different. And I am not trying to be funny or crude. It was very real to a Jew. They were different than the Gentiles. They weren't pagans. And the other Jews that they lived among from the dispersion, they weren't Jews either because now they were Christians. So they weren't pagans, and they weren't Jews. They were Christians in a very small minority, and they suffered. Beloved, that's a nice word. It's wisdom to introduce a negative subject with a term of endearment and or of affection. You know, there was a lot of wisdom in what you just heard from Acts chapters 24 through 26. When Festus accused Paul of being mad, insane, and beside himself... 
Did Paul revile him back? Or did Paul say, Most noble Festus. Does everyone in here have the humility to be able to do that? Most noble? Most noble? Most noble. Festus. Ah, that is wisdom. And it's wisdom right here. When you're about to tell somebody that they're going to get pounded for the Lord's sake, it's nice to start off with beloved. Think it not strange. You need to gird up the loins of your mind. Paul Peter writes to this audience of his, you need to gird up the loins of your mind and arm yourself with the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ because sufferings are coming. But don't think it's strange. It's not weird. It's not crazy. It's not all that unusual. It shouldn't say anything to you, but the fact that you get to accompany the Lord Jesus Christ in His sufferings. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. And we should guard our thoughts concerning it. Paul would say in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, Acts 14 and 22, I'll read it to you, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. That is the lesson that Paul brought in Acts chapter 14 as he made his way back through the churches that he and Barnabas had started on their first evangelistic trip. He comes back through and he encourages them to continue in the faith and that we must, must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Tribulation is not a bad thing. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Think not that I am come to bring peace. This message is so contrary to the Jesus of this world. The average Christian today, the vast majority of Christians today, does not worship the Jesus of the Bible. They worship a Jesus of their own imagination. And their Jesus, supposedly, came to bring peace in families. That is not the case. Jesus said in Matthew chapters 10, verses 34 through 37, Thank not that I am come to bring peace, but a sword, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And if you can't love me more than them, you are not worthy of me. And that's why it happens. Because that's how God and the Lord Jesus Christ test our love of Him. To see if we love Him more than those so-called dearest relationships on earth. And I love my family. But they don't even measure on the Richter scale of my love of Christ. I may love my wife. I do love my wife. But I hate her in comparison to Jesus Christ, because that's what my Savior told me I needed to do to please Him. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. If you're not suffering, then you're not living a godly life in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, here are the words that I just paraphrased. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The closer you get to Christ and the closer your conduct gets to Jesus Christ's doctrine, gospel, and His own conduct, the more the world will dislike you, hate you, and persecute you. Family will not like you. Because you are going to get stricter while this world gets looser. And the difference between the two is now the greatest that we can read about in a long time. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life. But wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there's a great difference. And the closer you get to Christ's way, that means you put on the straight jacket of Jesus Christ. When the Bible says that it is a straight gate, that is S-T-R-I-S-T-R-A-I-T, Not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. It doesn't mean the shortest distance between two points. It means a restricted life. Straight is the gate. 
And so the closer you live to Christ, and the closer you live His gospel, and the closer you live His doctrine, the more the world is going to hate you. It's part of gospel preaching to warn and prepare God's people for it. Jesus suffered in the world, and He told His apostles, Do you think that you're going to be treated better than me? If I, your master, have been hated by this world and abused by them, what do you think the lot is going to be of my servants? In John chapter 15, verses 19 through 21. There are false teachers and enemies of the truth today that preach about prosperity without pain, treasure without trouble, salvation without suffering, and pleasure without problems. It isn't taught in the Bible. But then, we've never accused Joel Osteen of ever preaching the Bible. And no one should ever do that. Because you're sorely mistaken. But he will start off every sermon with a joke, which is an axiom of his form of religion. And I pick on him because the nation says that he's the nation's pastor. The nation's pastor is setting a horrible example by preaching a bunch of cotton candy, garbage, heretical junk to that congregation every Sunday. It's miserable. It's nauseating. Some of you cannot even stand to look at it for a few minutes. I do it from time to time for spiritual entertainment and to be thankful that God has saved us from the perilous times by exposing such ridiculous effeminacy. I do believe that his wife has more testosterone than he does. If you will listen to the two of them talk, you might well believe that with me. It wouldn't be hard. You say, you're so cruel. Amen. He's blaspheming the Lord Jesus Christ with his false gospel. Trying to preach what I just said, prosperity without pain, pleasure without problems, treasure without trouble, salvation without suffering. That isn't the Word of God at all. Think not that I am come to bring peace, prosperity, or pleasure. I'm come to bring a sword. And if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me daily, you are not worthy to be my disciple. A cross is not prosperity. A cross is pain. A cross is not pleasure. A cross is problems. A cross is painful, difficult, heavy, and hard to bear. But take up your cross daily is what the Lord Jesus Christ taught. The Christian life will have adversity, difficulties, pain, and trouble. So be looking for it. Because it's not strange when it happens. It's normal. It's normal. The point I'm trying to make right now is if it's not happening, that is strange. You must not be living as godly as you could or should in Christ Jesus. Because there'll be persecution if you live for Him. It is okay to be cast down when things are tough, because even Paul was at times, but you cannot be destroyed from walking with God and fulfilling your public and private duties. You can be cast down, but adults beyond the age of six stand up and fulfill their duties. They don't let being cast down crush them, bury them, overwhelm them. That is a very small child. If thou faintest in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. And you've got Christ's strength. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. When you feel overwhelmed, it's not the time to cry. It's the time to pray. Now, if you want to cry to the Lord, that's acceptable. But run to the cross. Run to the throne. Run to the mercy seat. And get help from Him who is able to give help in a time like that. Your last antidote to discouragement is to remember that Jesus overcame the world. Jesus told His apostles in the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Squeeze it in for you, Joshua. These saints that our brother Peter wrote had our family, our health, our financial and other troubles but they had a whole category beyond what we have never, what we have ever tasted. And that is civil persecution by the civil arm of the Roman Empire and by the local governments. What they did not have is something we have. And that is 
a whole mess of carnal Christianity, of the perilous times, of the last days, which is why it justified 21 verses from the pen of our brother Paul to write Second Timothy chapters 3 and the first four verses of chapter 4. They had civil persecution, imprisonment, the taking of their goods, and death. Whippings, scourgings. We have Christians all around us who are yapping the name Jesus who don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And we will be persecuted as we take a stand for the Jesus of the Bible. For instance, what I have already said is highly repulsive to the world's generation of Christians. We shouldn't pick on someone as pretty as Joel. There's no other reason not to pick on Joel, but it's just not political, politically correct. It's just not right to pick on another so-called minister of the gospel. For us to say that Jesus did not come to bring peace, but Jesus came to bring a sword, that is totally foreign to their whole mindset about Christianity. But they are totally wrong. Read the Bible. There's persecution of the righteous from from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to the last chapter of the Bible. And Jesus said, that's the norm. And, And I'm in charge of it. Do you know that this passage right here that we're looking at is telling us about the will of God? Look at verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. What is God's will for these brethren? And what is God's will for us? At times, it's going to be to suffer. And so I've already said something that they just discard because they haven't read the Bible and they don't care what the Bible says. They have made a religion of so-called Christianity and a religion about Jesus to their own contentment, their own imagination, not what the Word of God says. And so here we are. Brethren, if we're not suffering some persecution, then we've got to examine ourselves to see if we're living godly in Christ Jesus, as 2 Timothy 3.12 told us. We should be humbled by the fact that we don't experience anything physically even close to what these people experienced. For a year, we have shared a story of a martyr. For 52 Sundays, we had a martyr presented to us. We don't suffer anything like that. And so we should be humbled that they suffered far more than we did. But at the same time, I want to remind you that we face an enemy that they didn't. And that is so-called Bible, Baptist, Southern Baptist, Independent Baptist, Christians, cons- conservative Christians. You know they're conservative Christians because they vote Republican. They hate our gospel. They hate our preaching. They hate our doctrine. They hate what we believe. Just tell them what you believe sometime and you'll find out they hate this. Most of you will say to me, that's why I don't tell them. Because I already know that they'll hate it. They will hate it. They despise the Jesus of the Bible. Can you imagine if Joel ever stood up and preached against two people living together? That two people living together are committing fornication and are whoremongers? You know, a third of his congregation is guilty of it. He wouldn't ever preach against sin. They're suffering. And so I'm trying to bring to bear the fact that if we talk openly about what the Bible teaches, and if we live openly the way the Bible teaches, we'll have persecution from a new category. Contemporary Christians. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. To know about a danger in advance is to allow you to get prepared for it. If you prepare by believing Peter's promises, you'll not be surprised when suffering comes. If you prepare and God in mercy does not send it, then your good labor will be lost in His love. You'll be better off for it anyway by having your mind prepared not to be looking for the things of this world, but for the things of glory. If you prepare and God sends persecution and faithfulness to His Word, the good labor will make it easier for you to endure that suffering. If you do not prepare, trials will come and catch you when you think you're secure, make you miserable and cause despair and probably bring about your destruction. 
because you haven't set your mind right. And to set your mind right is to realize that the truth of the New Testament, that the true religion of Jesus Christ and truly following Him is going to create enemies and animosity, resentment everywhere. And so here we are at this time of year, and I didn't plan this at all. Here we are in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm trying to mention suffering, and we're three days past the celebration of the winter solstice by the pagans of Roman Catholicism with their Christ mass of that winter solstice and their use of evergreen trees. Lord, have, have mercy upon us. Yes, we want to stand by your word. We don't care what anyone thinks. Listen, if whatever is highly esteemed among men, what does Jesus say about whatever is highly esteemed among men? Is this holiday that we're three days past highly esteemed among men? Luke 16, 16, our Savior said, if it's highly esteemed among men, it is an abomination with God. Do you know how they measure whether something is acceptable or not? How highly esteemed it is among men. Do you know how we measure it? By the Word of God. And if it's highly esteemed among men, we don't want to have anything to do with it because that's pr- that proves it's not of God. How can you get a bunch of reprobates in this world gathering around their Christmas trees at the winter solstice and think that it's of God? Lord, help us. Think it not strange, brethren. Let's prepare ourselves that when we follow Christ, and I, you know, when a person is baptized, one thing they should always be told right in conjunction with their baptism is, Now that you have followed Christ with this public demonstration of your faith, be ready, be prepared, because the devil and this world is going to come after you. Did it happen to the Lord Jesus? When he was baptized, he was immediately driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. As we take a step of obedience to Christ, the world and the devil will unite against us. Let's be prepared. Concerning the fiery trial. You know, fire in the Bible is sometimes used literally. Like when Matthew chapter 22 and verse 7 says that God will send and burn up their city. Uh, that was literal. Sometimes the word fire is used metaphorically like it is earlier in this epistle when it says over in chapter 1 that the trial of your faith, verse 7, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. That's literal. But our faith is not tried by literal fire, except if you're burned at the stake. It's because fire is used as heat to purify the metals gold and silver. Precious metals have their impurities burned out of them by strong heat, and Christians have their impurities burned out of them by strong heat. And what is the strong heat that burns impurities out of Christians? Sufferings, afflictions, trials and tribulations, problems and pain. And Lord, help us to understand these things and to rejoice when they come and to respond properly. I was thinking of bringing a bick or a match today and and lighting it and and seeing if I could hold my finger over it for a second or two. Maybe using one of you to demonstrate fire. It is very painful. And it, it bites so quickly and the bite is so severe. But it's to remind us, it's to remind us What it says here in this 12th verse, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Because here's Peter comparing our tribulations and afflictions to a fiery trial. Now the trial of a metal is to apply great heat to it to see if any impurities run out of it. And to apply great heat to a Christian is to bring suffering or affliction into their lives to see what runs out of us. And hopefully what will run out of us is great happiness and joy and blessing our persecutors and asking God to forgive them like the Apostle Paul, Stephen, Jesus, and others did. Lord, help us to that end. This audience of Peter's was going to face some fiery trials and tribulations. And they were to try them. You'll want to remember these words here that we have in verse 12. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Trial. I want you to remember that word trial. and Which is to try you. Because this suffering that was being brought upon these believers was not to destroy them. It wasn't even to chasten them. It was to try them. It was to determine the level of their Christian character. And it was to improve their Christian character by burning away any dross. We will need that. And there's many ways that we can look at this passage in order to define the word judgment in verse 17 correctly. 
The only difficulty in this passage is the word judgment in verse 17. But if you've read the context of verses 12 through 19, judgment is plainly described in the context. It is not punishment and it is not chastening. It is a trial of determination and a trial of improvement of a Christian's faith. Well, why did he use the word judgment? So that most men wouldn't understand the passage. I answer with another question. Why did he speak in parables? So that the population wouldn't understand his doctrine. But his apostles would. Let us hold fast to Scripture from beginning to end. Beloved, think it not strange. It is not unusual. It is not weird. It is not confusing if our mind is set right concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. It's not weird. You are not an exception. You are not Job when something bad happens to you. If you are following Christ faithfully and God brings trouble, trials, tribulations, afflictions into your life, particularly, particularly in this passage, not the fact that you have kidney stones, that's, listen, if we're gonna, do we have to stoop that low? That that's a trial? I know it's pain. Sorry, Philip. It's been a long time. You want a moment to give thanks? Let's not go there. We, we're playing games with the Word of God. Games. The trials here are people hating you, reviling you, reproaching you, persecuting you, imprisoning you, and killing you. Let's get serious. And when those kind of things happen, here I am following Christ. My kids don't like me. They hate me. I'm not celebrating the world's holidays anymore. My siblings hate me. My parents think I've gone off the deep end. I'm abused of being a nut at work. I'm called Amish or Mennonite for wearing the clothes that I do. And on and on it goes. They're reviling you. They're reproaching you for following Jesus Christ. That is different than having a kidney stone, which the world and everyone has. Let's be, let's be serious about what this passage is talking about. It's not something strange. It's a part, it's an ordinary part of Bible Christianity. But instead of thinking it strange, and that word is used twice in verse 12, beloved, think. See, we're talking about a mindset. Think. Are we prepared? The closer we follow Jesus Christ, the more others will not like us. The more others will reject us. The more others will cast us out of their company. The more others will cut us off. And if your mind is in the right place, you're thankful. Do you know why you're thankful? Who needs friends like that that still love the world and love the world's Jesus? So I'm thankful. I'm thankful that no one from the bank calls me. I'm thankful that no one from the bank has called me for a long time. And I was quite popular at the bank. But they all knew that when I left that bank, I was leaving for something that they couldn't even comprehend. And we want it to be that way. And we want to remember this, that when someone leaves us for the gospel's sake, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has promised, I will replace 10,000%. I will replace 100-fold. I will replace... You giving up a father with fathers, a hundred of them. For you giving up children, I'll give you a hundredfold. That is Mark chapter 10 verses 28 through 30. And so we rejoice. We come to verse 13. But rejoice. Instead of having a mindset of thinking it's strange, this is weird, this is crazy, this is confusing. Here I am following the Lord and things are going from bad to worse. More people hate me now than before I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice! You're on the right path. You're in the straight gate. You're in the narrow way. You can see the Lord's shadow because you're getting closer to Him. Because look what happened to Him. John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking. He was such a wild man, they accused Him of being an insane nutcase. Jesus came eating bread and drinking wine like any good Italian would do. And they accused Him of being a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter what you do. They're going to hate you. And if they hated Christ, they're going to hate His servants. But let's not be ashamed of Him anywhere we go. Let's not be ashamed of persecution or trouble. 
Let's rejoice in it because that's what the text tells us to do. But rejoice. The word but is there to set it in distinction to thinking that something weird is happening to you. That you must be wrong because I'm being persecuted by so many good people. Do you know what kind of people persecuted the Lord Jesus Christ? The religious people. The best people in Israel. The Pharisees. They were the straightest Let's go back to that word. What does straight mean? S-T-R-A-I-T. Restricted. Strict. Narrow. Minded. The Pharisees were the conservative fundamentalists of the Jews' religion. They were not the Sadducees like our liberals. Like our religious liberals that deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ or the inspiration of the Word of God. Those are the Sadducees. They deny that there was a resurrection and they deny that there were any spirit beings in the universe. Those are liberals. We are talking about the Pharisees. Who were the greatest enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ? The conservative, fundamental religionists of the nation of Israel. We are not talking about Egyptians. We're not talking about Hittites, Romans, or anyone else. We are talking about the most conservative Jewish religious leaders hated Jesus. And we will find that they will hate us. Do not be surprised, but instead rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Here's another reason to rejoice. Because you get to do something that Jesus did for you. Now you get to do something for Him. You know what the whole world thinks three days ago? They did something for Jesus. You know, I haven't been to a birthday party yet. I don't go to very many. I never did. I swore off fun at an early age. How many birthday parties have you been to where all the guests come and ignore you and give gifts to each other? Right. And they call this a birthday party for Jesus. Christ's Mass. When the wise men came from the East... They had a gift exchange at the house where the young child was, didn't they? Did they have a gift exchange there? Did one wise man give gold to one, to to another, and that other gave back frankincense and myrrh to the one that gave him gold, so that they all went home happy that day? Or did they all lay their gifts at the feet of Jesus? They're all so sick. They have taken a worldly holiday because it gratifies their flesh, and they have pulled out a bucket of whitewash and dipped their brush in and painted it, I'm doing this to Jesus, when the Bible condemns that. And you know, if you if you talk about it openly, you know, we've all learned when you're going through the checkout counter at Bilo, and the clerk says, Merry Christmas. Thank you. And you go on your way. You don't stop them and pull out 120 reasons why we don't celebrate. And why have we learned that? Because there's no profit in doing it because they don't care about the truth. All they care about is having the warm and fuzzy feelings of sitting around a tree in the dark and singing songs to it. And opening up presents and having having children go crazy, manifesting the greed and total depravity that is in every child as soon as they see their present. Since I was single digits, I was able to recognize, and I hope that many of you were as well, how that there was about three to five seconds of appreciation for a present before they threw it to the side to grab the next one. And you could see the absolute wickedness and depravity, the greed and the covetousness. And if Paul got something better than me, while he was ripping open something a little better than me, or something that I wanted, ruined the whole day. Depravity. You know, it's December 28th. How can I help it? I can't help but mention that recent holiday of three days ago in light of what we're doing here. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That is a high honor. When the Bible says that you can be a partaker of Christ's sufferings, you know, we partake of the Lord's Supper where we remember His sufferings. But there are opportunities that the Lord's going to give us to partake of His sufferings. And we want to embrace that and rejoice in that and be thankful for that privilege. Let me read you Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 about the Apostle Paul on this matter. Paul Paul prayed. Paul counted everything in his life, all of his accomplishments, as nothing and as dung. And he said this, 
I have given up everything that I may know Him. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. The fellowship of Jesus Christ's sufferings are conforming ourselves to be willing to die for His cause. He died for you. Are you willing to die for Him? And the possibility of dying for Him raises, rises proportionately, statistically, as you get around more and more religious people. It was religious people that killed Jesus. So don't count it strange that religious people hate us for living by the Bible. That they hate us for preaching the Bible. That they hate us for naming names. When the Bible names names. We name names, we name names because the Bible names names. The fellowship of His sufferings, that is a privilege. You want fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? One of the ways to get closest to Him is to endure suffering cheerfully, forgiving those that are tormenting you like Jesus did. And so we have it here in verse 13. But rejoice. Don't think it's strange, but rather rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Oh, if we haven't suffered for Him in this life, when we see Jesus and know what He went through for us, we're going to be ashamed before Him at His coming, as it says in 1 John chapters 2 and 3. But we don't want to be ashamed at His coming. We want to rejoice and be glad with exceeding great joy. The Apostle Paul would write in Romans 8 and verse 17, If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. One of the evidences of eternal life, one of the evidences of Jesus coming for you, one of the evidences of you spending eternity with God in heaven is to suffer for the cause of Christ now. And so, this 13th verse is saying, Rejoice, because it's giving you an opportunity to partake with Christ of something He endured in this world, and it gives you evidence that when He comes and reveals His glory, you can be glad also with exceeding joy. Brother, when it says, When His glory shall be revealed... We know that Jesus is already glorified and has been glorified for 1,984 years. But He hasn't revealed that yet to the universe. It says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 13 through 16, when in His times He shall show, oh, I love these words, in His times He shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. He hasn't shown the universe that yet. He hasn't shown the world that yet. It's in the pages of Scripture. And if they had read the Bible and knew the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that if they had known the Lord of glory, if they had known the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and the truth of the gospel, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus is coming, and He is going to reveal His glory. And when He reveals His glory, we want to be excited and thankful and joyful with exceeding joy because we have suffered like He suffered in the world. That is the limited context of these eight verses here. Have we suffered like Christ suffered? And have we suffered with the cheerful, joyful spirit about it as He did? Lord, help us to that end. The Lord is going to bring trouble for you against the gospel of Christ from all kinds of quarters. Be ready for it. Arm yourself. As, as verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Verse 14, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. I'll overlook the English lesson that can be taken from that first clause to remind you that context determines grammar, not words. It's context. Because I've got a present tense, happy are ye, and I've got a subjunctive mood, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ. But for those of you that love English, just go ahead and feast yourself on it. Um, it's interesting, and you know what it means. It means 
if you get reproach for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be happy and rejoice in it, just like verse 13 taught. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. If you are suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ, if your love of Christ is such that it's irritating the world around you, and they are opposing you, the Spirit of God is doing it from the inside out. Because He is the first cause and the great cause of us living in a way that pleases Christ. And He is abiding upon you because as you suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ, His power is magnified and augmented in your life. Do you know what Jesus told His apostles? If you get caught preaching my gospel, and they put you in prison, and they tell you the next morning there's going to be a trial, and if you don't repent, then you're going to be stoned to death. Don't worry about it. Just sack out. Don't think about what you're going to say. This is Matthew chapter 10 and the other gospels. Don't think about what you're going to say because I will give you the words to say in that day that they will not be able to withstand. And the example of that is Acts chapter 6, about the last six verses, where Stephen, full of Holy Ghost and of power, stood up and they could not resist the wisdom by which that deacon confounded the learned Jews. It's wonderful to read it. And so when it says here in the middle of this 14th verse, the Spirit of glory... And of God resteth upon you. That is the Holy Spirit of the living God. If you're reproached for the name of Jesus, that means that you're pleasing Jesus Christ by the power and influence of the Holy Ghost. And because you're suffering for pleasing Jesus Christ, God is going to give you an added measure of that Holy Spirit. When those men were put on trial, we already know this, don't we, from 52 Mark. Let's get this in order. We know it from the Bible. We had it confirmed by 52 martyrs. What those martyrs said on trial, we would laugh with holy laughter in this assembly because of their boldness. Where did they get such boldness? As soon as Stephen would get done and the service would end, we would all look at each other and say, I don't know if I could have done that. And my answer to you, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you all could have done that. And you all would have done that because the Spirit of glory would have been upon you. The Lord would have given you an extra measure of the Holy Spirit to bear up because the Holy Spirit's ministry is to bear witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a man is being put to death in the flames of fire, slow fire sometimes, for the cause of Christ, the Holy Spirit will give him power to sing praises to God and to forgive his tormentors. And so we have it right here in First Peter chapter 4, in the middle of verse 14. On their part, He is evil spoken of, but on your part, He is glorified. This isn't the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't even know there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the crime under consideration in the first clause of the verse, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ. It's not if ye be reproached for the name of the Holy Spirit. It's for the name of Christ. On their part, Jesus is evil spoken of. He's the result of a German soldier and a Jewish prostitute. That is what the world says of Jesus of Nazareth. The Romans incorporated all sorts of nationalities into their army, and a German soldier in the Roman army impregnated Mary, a Jewish prostitute. They reproached the name of Christ, but on our part, He is glorified, because I'll die for Him. I, I love what He taught, I believe what He taught. I will not move what He taught. You can threaten me with any kind of slow death. And we glorify Christ. They can reproach Him. I just want you to understand that when you're reading those the clauses 4 and 5 of this 14th verse, on their part He, that He is not the Holy Ghost, that He is Christ, because that's the crime under consideration in the context of the whole verse. But on your part, He is glorified. The Holy Spirit is not to be glorified. The Holy Spirit's purpose in a purpose in a person's life is to glorify Christ. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer. If there's going to be suffering in a Christian's life, we want to live in such a way that we can only go down for one cause. That is what I mentioned when I began a few minutes ago from Acts chapters 24 through 26. Paul went down for one cause and one cause only. The Lord Jesus Christ. We want to live scrupulously clean in every part of our lives to shut their mouths that they have to lie about us 
And they have to accuse us of religious wrongdoing because we will only go down for one cause, Jesus of Nazareth. We will not go down for not paying taxes. We will not go down for owning guns when owning guns becomes a crime. These are all simple issues. We will go down for the cause of Christ. Jesus didn't say that we needed Fort Knox or an arsenal in each of our closets. When Peter brought him a couple of swords on one occasion, he said, that's enough. And for for 11 men, two ain't very many. So as long as we've got a couple in the congregation, we've got to go down for the cause of Christ. We don't want shoplifting on our record. We don't want anything on our record. We want to go down for one cause. It is wonderful to have three trials in succession in those three chapters of Acts. And there Paul is found. Felix knew that he was innocent. Festus knew he was innocent. Agrippa knew he was innocent. And that's the way we want it for us. And so we have this 15th verse that if the world reproaches us, if they come after us, if they persecute us, if they put us on trial, if they vet us, if if they're going to examine us, let it be for one cause and one cause only. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. You know, murder was a capital crime in most nations, and it was in the Roman Empire, that if you killed someone, you died because they were still keeping Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. It's only when you get a lot of Christians active in a country like America that the capital capital punishment is threatened because they don't know the Word of God anymore. They, They feel sorry for murderers. The Bible doesn't. The Bible says, Let thine eye have no pity. Thou shalt not pity. Thou shalt not pity. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. So the apostle starts at the top of the uh, pyramid of crimes in human estimation. What's the worst, one of the worst crimes that you can commit that most surely brings civil punishment with it? Murder. So he starts with that and he goes down this ladder of succession. He lists four examples for us to convict all of us that if we're ever put on trial, we do not want them to be able to bring up anything against us, whether it's against laws or it's just against common sense and good nature of base men. Because that's what we're going to get to at the bottom. There's a, there's a cat. There's only four listed here. But the apostle is going from one that deserves capital punishment, a capital crime, all the way down to something that just irritates and offends people because it's obnoxious. It's odious character. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. I hope that none of you have any murder on your hands. And you know, it doesn't take me to preach here, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, where it says that if you call your brother a fool or are angry with him without a cause, you are guilty of violating the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. That is not to be done at this place right here. These are civil crimes. We do not want to be hauled before the civil authorities of our nation and have them find anything on us. I don't want you copywriting DVDs or VHS tapes. No one's doing that anymore. You should not be copying anything that's copyrighted. I don't care what you think of. Have yourself clean. Because today, they can find out what you have been doing, what you are doing, easier and more thoroughly than ever before. Remember that. Lord, help us to be squeaky clean for Christ's sake, for the gospel's sake. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief. Be scrupulously honest in all of your business transactions. Shoplifting, fraudulent documents, tax returns. Brethren, be scrupulously honest. Don't be a thief in any way. You say, I've never been a thief. Does that include Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, where it tells employees not to be guilty of purloining? Purloining is small thefts on the job. Thefts of time, thefts of paper, thefts of pencils, thefts of calculators, thefts of erasers, thefts of whatever you want to put in it. You say, well, you're picking on such small things. Is, is, is that your answer? You're picking on such... I got. I heard it. Okay. If it's such a small thing, then why don't you go to Walmart and buy it? So don't tell me about it being such a small thing. It's called purloining. We don't ever want to be found guilty of purloining. And do you know what? 
they will vet us if we're ever, they vetted them. They will vet us and they will call the people that you work with and they will find out if you ever took anything home from your employer because they're going to be looking for anything they can get their hands on just like they did the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as an evildoer. We don't want to be guilty of evil doing by any definition of that when it comes to the laws of the nation around us and of society around us. An evildoer. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2.9 said that he was in prison in Rome as an evildoer because he was accused of disrupting the peace in Jerusalem. But he hadn't done that. So we want to look, we don't want to be an evildoer. We want to file proper tax returns. We do not want to argue against government. We don't want to be seditious. We don't want to be traitors. We don't want to be rebellious. We do not want to be evildoers. Notice the context that this word is put in. This is not idolatry. This is not hatred. Hatred isn't a crime against any nation. This is what brings magistrates to your house and hauls you before them to where you're suffering as a Christian, but you're not suffering because you're a Christian. You're suffering because you're a loser. And you're fighting the world and their own laws. We want to be pure. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I was not causing any trouble against any law of the Romans. I was not causing any trouble against the Jews' religion. I was not causing any trouble in the city. I was not causing any trouble in the synagogues. Did you read it with me? We want to be that way. I have been in other churches, and they are a stench in God's nostrils. We want to be civilly loyal, civilly respectful. Let there not be jokes and cartoons and ridicule of our government officials flowing from your computers. They already have them. Let things flow like God bless the IRS. Let things flow like I've prayed for the president every day. I'm thankful for our president. I'm thankful for the IRS. You pay less than any other nation. What's your problem? We have more liberties. We have more prosperity. We've been over that before. Or as a busybody in other men's matters. Now this comes down to just an odious, obnoxious personality that, that wants to entertain their curiosity by nosing into your life and asking questions about things that's none of their business. Because they're not busy enough, they wander about, and God hates this sin. God hates this sin in widows. First Timothy chapter 5, if a widow was guilty of this, out. Because widows need to get married and have a bunch of kids in order to keep from ever being guilty of this. That's what the Apostle Paul would teach in the first 14 verses of First Timothy chapter 5. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, get yourself a second and a third job to shut down your mind of wanting to involve yourself in things that don't belong to you. There is a curiosity in odious people of wanting to have the last word, the first word, and get in on stuff in other people's lives. It is not love. It is not care. Because if they loved and if they cared, they would not conduct themselves in an uncomely manner. Because that is uncomely. The Apostle Paul, listen, 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 6 through 15 are about excluding anyone that does not follow his gospel. And do you know what the crime is? Not working hard enough and therefore becoming a wanderer and therefore becoming a busybody in other men's matters. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that you should learn a trade and work so hard at it, you don't have any time for other people along those lines. Murder. Of course we don't want to be on trial for murder. Theft. Of course we don't want to be on trial for theft if we're hauled before the magistrates. An evildoer. No, we don't want to be seditious. We want to be respectful of government. May I say the words again? Can everyone in here do it? Most noble. If President Obama pulled up with a motorcade, of course it would stretch out to 385, but if he pulled up to our little facilities and came in here, and when I was introducing him to say a word to you, and I said... Oh, most noble president. Anybody in here want to throw me out? As much as he may be a Muslim president, he's more of a Christian than Festus was. Oh, most noble. I want us to read the Bible, every word of it. That's the Apostle Paul. You think Paul was scared? Do you think Paul said most noble because he was trying to protect his life? 
Paul wanted to die. Oh, I want, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. The character traits of Matthew 5, 3 through 12, the character traits of right here, murder, theft, an evildoer, or a busybody. It might, in some nations, it was against the law to be a busybody. If you wandered about and weren't working so hard that you had time to go yak with others or inquire into their business or be asking about details going on in their lives, you were judged by nations. But if you're not judged by a nation and they know that you're just an odious person, you're going to bring reproach upon the cause of Christ because you won't be going down for Jesus. You're going to be going down for the fact that you're just odious and obnoxious. Lord, save us from all such folly. Verse 16, Yet... He's going to bounce back. In case you didn't get the lesson of verses 12 through 14, yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, and that is what we want to suffer for. If any man suffer, are you a Christian? Are you doing that because you're a Christian? Yes. I'm doing it because I'm a Christian. My Lord and Savior commands me to do this. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Don't let him be ashamed, but glorify God that you've been given an opportunity to partake in the sufferings of Christ, to show your loyalty to Him, to exalt the gospel, to give evidence that you have eternal life and are going to be with Him in heaven, that you are worthy of His great name. And so it says, you should not be ashamed. Timothy was a young man. Timothy was not as bold as Paul. Timothy had some measure of timidity. Here's how Paul encouraged him. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. He was Paul's favorite minister because he had never met another man that didn't that cared for the, the churches of Jesus Christ as much as Timothy. And I'll close with this. Oh, let's suffer as Christians. Why do you do that? Because I'm a Christian. Let's not go down for anything else. Brethren, they can scour our lives better than ever before. You people that use cell phones, it doesn't matter what phone you use. Phones, computers. I like the circumstances we now live in. I hope that it... It puts fear in our hearts. We want to go down for one cause. All of his emails are about Jesus Christ. Yes, they're very submissive to government. Loves his children. Loves the neighbors. Votes. Cares. On and on. You know, they're going to know all those things. Let's go down for one cause. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him glorify God on this behalf. Here's how Paul encouraged Timothy. Verse 6. I'm going to read a number of verses. Follow along and understand what's taking place in this private correspondence between Paul and Timothy. Paul was in prison. This is the last epistle written by Paul. He's in Rome. He has already appeared before Caesar once. He's going to have to appear before him again. His life is hanging in the balance. And here's what... Paul wrote Timothy, verse 6, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Remember that you're a minister of Christ. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle 
and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Amen and amen. We quote verse 9. We quote verse 10. Though remember, you're pulling them out of a context. And the context is, Timothy, I know I'm in prison. I'm probably going to lose my life. Well, he says that in chapter 4. I'm, I'm now ready to depart. He, I'm going to lose my life. You're going to be alone. You're not going to have me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, though the world hates it. Don't be ashamed that I'm in prison, though the world hates me. I'm going to leave. You be strong. God's not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And remember, this gospel that we preach involves the creator of the universe and what he did for us before the world began. Right. Well, when you think, when you put it in terms like that, men who put their pants on the same way you do, even if they're sitting on the throne of Rome, are nothing in comparison to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul stirred up Timothy not to be ashamed, and he called them the afflictions of the gospel over there in 1 Peter 4. They were the afflictions of Christ. Brethren, let us suffer as Christians. Let us not suffer as murderers, thieves, evildoers, or busybodies in other men's matters. Let's go down for one cause, and that cause being the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us go beyond the call of duty. Let us provide things honest in the sight of all men. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. All men. Even the reprobates out there. Let's live peaceably with them so they can never accuse us of of disturbing the peace, of being a troublemaker. The Apostle Paul could say he had never caused trouble like that. Let it be said of us the same thing. Let us go down for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. All glory and honor to Him forever and ever. Amen.